Now let us again ask God's blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we turn to your word this morning, that you will cause something of that depth of love divine to move our hearts and to engage our minds and to stir us, Lord, to lives of active service and obedience to you, the one who has loved us with an everlasting love and who has reconciled us to yourself in Jesus through that love. We ask it. Amen. Now we're going to read from God's word uh, just before we uh, turn to minister that word. And uh, we read from Second Corinthians chapter 5. Those of you who were here at the service just, I suppose it's just about a month ago, the first Sunday in uh, July at the evening service, we were looking together at uh, verse 17 in this particular chapter here, thinking of uh, the new creation that God has wrought in our Lord Jesus Christ in the lives of all his people. And something, of course, that embraces a much wider sphere as well. And uh, we're going to, this morning, uh, be looking at the remaining verses here in the chapter. That's from verse 18 down to verse 21, which are about the reconciling uh, love of God. Because uh, it is through that that God brings about the new creation in the hearts and lives of his people and in the world. Now we read from verse 17 again down to the end of the chapter. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled, to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading of his word for his own name's sake. Now, as I said, our text this morning is those last four verses in that particular uh, passage. Paul had just been speaking about this new creation that God has brought about in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this, of course, leads Paul to tell us how he brought this about. He begins by affirming that all things in relation to this new creation, he says, all things are of God. All this is from God, he says. It's God's work. It's a work of God's grace from beginning to end. Like a new creation, it's something that only God 
can bring about. It's something that only God can do. And it's something that has come to pass through his reconciling love in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're reminded of it in that favorite verse that we all learned in Sunday school. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now what does it mean to be reconciled? One of the most beautiful definitions of reconciliation that I've come across was one that I came across in a little dictionary that I got shortly after I was converted and uh, it recalls a line for me it recalls a line in one of uh, C.H. Spurgeon's sermons. The definition in the dictionary is to bring back into friendship again. And what Spurgeon said in that particular sermon was that uh, God sent his son to die for us in order to make us his friends again even though he could have created new ones cheaper. God so loved that he gave and what he gave was his only son. You see this is God's answer to our sinfulness and our enmity against him. Instead of destroying us as we deserve and starting all over again, as it were, God brought his reconciling love to bear upon us through sending his Son into the world to do all that was necessary to make us his friends again. And in these verses here, he tells us that reconciliation was through the death of his Son. And not only that, he tells us that he sends his messengers out to proclaim that word of reconciliation to those who need it. And he tells us that through his messengers, he appeals to men, he implores men to embrace the word of reconciliation, the reconciliation that he has made. Now these are the three main thoughts in these verses the making of reconciliation the proclaiming of reconciliation the embracing of reconciliation and those are the three thoughts that we just want to take up and explore a little bit more uh, carefully this morning let's think first of all of reconciliation made you have that there just in the opening phrase Reconciliation presupposes enmity and separation and estrangement. Or to use the word often found in the Bible, it's alienation. If there was no alienation, then there would be no need for reconciliation. It's because of this disastrous situation that exists in our relationship with God that reconciliation is called for. And the Bible uses this particular term alienation to emphasize the greatness of our sin. That we are separated from God. And as such we are sinners under the condemnation of God's law. We are enemies of God. 
We are cut off from God. By nature we do not want God's way for our lives. The Bible tells us we're far away from him. We are without hope. And without God in the world. Alienated from the life of God. And all that God represents is foreign to us. Is what the word means. We're strangers to it. We don't want it. It's like Paul says right into the Ephesians. Without Christ we are aliens and strangers from the covenants of promise. That God made to the commonwealth of Israel. And again he tells us in writing to the Colossians. You who were sometimes alienated. And enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he is reconciled. You see friends that's our predicament. As sinners. We're alienated from God. We're strangers to his grace. We're darkened and blinded to the things of God. That's not a very pretty picture. But it's a very true one. And clearly if there is to be any reconciliation. It's only God who can bring it about. And that's the first thing that the text here emphasizes. About the making of reconciliation. So if we have any ideas that we can do something to try and make it up with God. And reconcile ourselves with God. Far better to dispense with such thoughts immediately. And see God's way. Our sinful nature and our sinful state precludes entirely us being able to do anything that could reconcile us with God. But the good news is that God has done what we could never do. Listen again to what Paul says. Having spoken of this new creation that God can bring about. He says all this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So how did God affect this work? Through Christ says Paul. You see the issue is our enmity. Our sin must be removed for God to be reconciled with us. For God to forgive us. And to receive us into his friendship again. And this is precisely what God has done for us. Through sending his son, Jesus, into this world. He sent him in order that he might live our life over again as it were. The life that we should have lived and didn't live and couldn't live. And not only that, he sent him to Calvary to take the penalty that was deserved on account of our sin in order that he might fulfill his own justice and satisfy that justice on our behalf. Jesus took our sin giving himself as a sacrificial offering to satisfy all the requirements of divine justice. And it's in this way that God can be propitious towards us. He can be favorably disposed towards us. 
in Jesus. Paul explains this for us in several places in his epistles. You remember in the epistle to the Romans, chapter 5, and verses 8 to 11, we have that tremendous statement, God commended his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And right into the Colossians in chapter 1 verse 21 following, he says, Christ has made peace through the blood of his cross to reconcile all things to himself whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you who were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. Those are just a couple of examples in Paul's epistles of the wonder of what God has done for people like you and me in sending his son into this world to live over again our life and to die on the cross of Calvary, our death. You see, these words remind us that the work of making reconciliation was not easy. It was not cheap. To make you and I as friends again meant Christ giving his life into suffering and death in order to remove the cause of our alienation. Reconciliation did not come about merely by a change of mind on the part of God as far as our sin is concerned. God didn't merely say, oh well, just let's forget about it, you know. Let's be friends again. You know, the way we as humans would do we had fallen out with someone for a while. We weren't speaking to them, you know. Maybe you go along and you say, well, let's just forget about it. God can't forget about our sin. Because God is a holy God. But God, in order to save us from that sin, to make us his friends again, has dealt with that sin in his own son. As W.C. Robinson once said, reconciliation was not a change in God. It was a change wrought by God. A twofold change and a costly one at that. But God made it. That's what it means to have reconciliation made. And that's the first thing that Paul obviously emphasizes here. And then he moves on to speak about reconciliation being proclaimed. From the latter part of verse 18 down to the end of verse 20. You know, it's interesting but not surprising that in the epistles, mention of reconciliation is often followed by references to preaching. If you read carefully through the epistles, you will find that again and again. That is so. 
And we find it to be so in our text here because Paul was actually defending his own ministry and the ministry of his, his colleagues, his, the other apostles, against these, what he calls, false apostles who were in Corinth. And they, of course, were trying to tell the Corinthians that Paul and his fellows were not really uh, preaching the true gospel, as it were. But Paul is saying, in Jesus, God has reconciled us with himself. In Jesus, our sin has been removed. In Jesus, God's wrath has been turned away. He is now propitious towards us. He stands ready to forgive and to receive sinners. Dear friends, if that's not good news... What is? That is good news. And of course if it's good news. It must be announced to the world. Paul made two very important statements. In relation to this. One concerns the ministry of reconciliation. That is given to us there. At the end of verse 18. And the other concerns the message of reconciliation. That has been entrusted to us. In the end of verse 19. As far as the ministry of reconciliation is concerned. Paul no doubt was thinking of his own ministry. And that of his fellow apostles. After all that's the main subject. Of this epistle. But this is something that goes wider. Than even the apostles. It embraces all who are called to teach and to preach. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. All who are called to share that good news in every age, in every century. This is a ministry that is given to us by the very same one who has made the reconciliation. God himself. It's he who chooses and calls and commissions his servants to go into all the world and preach the gospel. To every creature. Isn't that one of the final words that Jesus gave to his disciples? Go into all the world. And preach this good news. To all who will hear. And Paul, he proceeded then in verse 19 to explain that God has given us. This ministry of reconciliation wasn't just something that was given to the original 12 disciples. And again, it wasn't just something that was given to that first generation of disciples who were converted through the apostles. It's something that God has given to this generation as well. To go into all the world, God wants us to share this good news with others. Because he himself is in the business of reconciling sinful men to himself and not imputing their sins and their trespasses to them. He does this because Christ has died. Christ has become the atoning sacrifice for their sins. He is the propitiation for our sins, says John. And because Christ has taken the punishment that our sins deserve, God's wrath has turned away. That justice is satisfied. So he will not now 
count the sins of those who respond to him against him. He will forgive and he will pardon all who come to him through Christ alone. And God wants that to be made known to the ends of the earth. Hence, the ministry he has given and appointed. Is that one of your main tasks in this world? If you're a believer, it should be to share this good news with those who are still outside there in darkness, at enmity with God. How easily we pass them from day to day. How easily we converse with them about the weather, the latest political situation or whatever. But we don't tell them that God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son to reconcile them with himself again, to make them his friends again. You see, God doesn't appoint or call ministers and then leave them to decide or plan what they should preach. The message of reconciliation is just as important as the ministry of. There are many people today who seem to have that kind of idea that they can just go out there and they can decide and plan uh, what kind of message they're to bring to people. God communicates the message. The word they are to preach. It's the word of reconciliation through the sacrificial death of Jesus. You see, any ministry without the message of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus at its heart is not a ministry that God has appointed. It's God who gives the message. It's the ministers, his ministers, who proclaim. He has caused his word to be written by the prophets and the apostles, and we have no mandate to preach anything else. Preach the word, was Paul's charge to Timothy. And in relation to his own ministry to the churches, he says, I have not shunned to declare to you. What? My opinions? No. The whole counsel of God. We are to preach the word. The whole word. And nothing but the word. See, ministers of the gospel, Paul goes on to explain, are ambassadors. Tells us that there in verse 20. Since God has committed to us the word of reconciliation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God was imploring you through us. You see, we appeal to you, he says, in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. You know, that's a very significant analogy. What is an ambassador? Well, an ambassador is an envoy of the government or the king he represents. But the thing we need to note is that an ambassador is not a diplomat. 
He's not there to say what he thinks or to try to negotiate some kind of settlement on matters on the basis of his own opinions. He's there in the place of the one who sent him. He's there to bring his word no matter who it pleases or who it offends. His business when he receives his commission is to carefully to study his master's words and to communicate them clearly to those for whom they are intended. In other words, he acts in the name of his master and with his authority. If the messenger is rejected and the word he declares is being despised, then that enmity has been shown first and foremost to the one who sent the ambassador and who speaks in his name. And when men today reject God's messengers and God's message, it's God they're demonstrating enmity against. See, it's just like that when we go out as ambassadors for Christ. We're not here to negotiate a deal with sinful men. Well, if you do this, we'll see if God will maybe do that. We're not called to set up a negotiating process. We're called to deliver an ultimatum. We're called to tell men that God loves them. God has done all that he possibly could and all that was needed to save them. And if they continue to reject that, they will perish forever. So our business is to go and to tell men to take with rejoicing from Jesus at once the life everlasting he gives. And when we do, we will discover that God has already been at work to turn men around and to enable them to embrace free, freely the Christ who is offered to them. In the gospel. So reconciliation has not only been made. Reconciliation is being proclaimed. This is part of God's ministry for his people. And then of course when reconciliation is proclaimed. The third thing that God emphasizes in this text is. That that reconciliation is to be embraced. The end of verse 20 and verse 21. When the appeal goes out, be reconciled to God. We're not to imagine that this is something that we are to affect. We simply couldn't reconcile ourselves to God or make our peace with him. Not even if we had 10,000 years in which to do it. The message is that God is reconciled through Christ. God is now satisfied as far as the sins of his people are concerned. All the requirements of his justice have been met. And on that basis God is now ready to receive and to pardon all who respond to his call. And who turn to him trusting only in what Christ has done in his life and in his death. You see, we are to embrace Christ by faith because it's Christ who has made unto us reconciliation. 
He is our reconciliation. We are to embrace him because God has made him the one who had no sin. He says to be sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Full provision has been made. We invite men therefore to take what is offered in Christ and what it amounts to is a life exchange. He has taken our old life with all its sin and rottenness and he wants to give us his own life with all its purity and holiness. He has taken our place completely and fully. There remains nothing more to be done. The heart of the gospel lies in those two little words. For us. For you. For me. And he offers you this life. Spotless, sinless life. And with that life placed to your account. You will find perfect acceptance with God just think of it all your sins no longer catalogued to your account no longer reckoned against you because they have been placed to his account all his righteousness is placed on your account as though that was the life that you had lived that means no more condemnation, no more doubt of acceptance whatsoever. You know, it was to help people troubled with doubt at that particular point that Augustus Top Lady wrote one of his most beautiful and yet one of the least sung of Top Lady's famous hymns. He says, From whence this fear and unbelief has not the Father put to grief his spotless Son? For me, and will the righteous judge of men condemn me for the debt of sin that Lord was led in you? If you have my, dis my if you have my discharge procured and freely in my place endured the whole of wrath divine, God cannot twice demand first at my bleeding surety's hand. And then again at mine. That's the kind of assurance that God gives to us in inviting us to embrace Christ who is freely offered to us. God has done everything that's necessary. He has satisfied his own requirements. He has done all that's necessary to enable us to hear this message. And to have it explained to us once again. And he urges you. He implores you. He appeals to you. To embrace the Christ who is freely offered to you. In the gospel. And to begin to enjoy the fruits of that union. As his very own friend. Once again, you remember our definition? 
Reconciliation means to bring into friendship again. And as Spurgeon says, he wants to bring you into his friendship again, even though he could have created new friends much more cheaply. See, it's when we embrace by faith what God has accomplished in Jesus that we begin to enjoy the saving fruits of that reconciliation. We begin to enjoy this new friendship that has come into our lives. We become the recipients of all the benefits that that provides. So if there's someone here this morning and you have never yet found this friend, then I urge you to embrace him now by faith, trusting in him and in him alone and what he has done, not in anything you can do. By faith, take it as your, your Lord, your Savior, your friend. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for the good news that you have provided for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you truly loved us and loved this world when you gave your only begotten Son into this life and into the death that he endured at Calvary in order that we might be your friends again. Lord, bless to all our hearts this message that each of us here may recognize that reconciliation that has been made and that each one here will know what it is to embrace it by faith and that each of us will know what it is to go out and to share that good news and to proclaim this message to others. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen.